0: Welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast, and uh, it is a busy, busy world out there in cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Uh, Just because FTX has gone away doesn't mean that life is over. Uh, So for this podcast, we are going to be back in the world of cryptocurrencies. On the show today, we have Alan Vay, who is the chief executive of Aventus Network. Welcome to the podcast, Alan.
1: Thanks, Stuart. Good to be here. Thanks for having
0: me. Um, I know you're joining us all the way from uh, sunny Dubai this morning. Can you uh, briefly just give us a quick summary of Aventus? What you guys do?
1: Yeah, for sure. The uh, the real mission at Aventus is onboarding enterprises to Web three. So when we say Web three, the sort of fundamental building block there, the infrastructure is is blockchain. So most of our products are focused around that um, and how we can kind of apply that to to value added use cases across a, a significantly diverse um, set uh, within the enterprise market,
0: and I keep talking to people in the cryptocurrency broking trading industry. I was I was having lunch with a, a custodian last week. Everyone's raving about Dubai, and they're saying it's the big hub for digital assets um, these days. Is that true, or is that just propaganda?
1: Yeah, well, I just recently based myself over here last year. Actually, I've seen a trend of more and more. Uh, investors and and also projects um building from dubai they've set up a really nice easy framework for getting going here you can get licensed businesses that are licensed under uh, crypto exchange or nft marketplaces or a variety of of kind of different um uh, crypto licenses quite easily Um, it's been a pretty efficient um, and straightforward process of getting set up so yeah more and more we're seeing people come over here and if nothing else it's a very popular travel hub right with the, with the airline with emirates as well and the, the various other airlines that fly here a lot of people come through town so it's great in terms of conferences you'll often catch people from all over the world it's a bit of a, a central hub for meetings so so far i found it, it, it great with respect to the the sort of wider blockchain industry
0: what attracted you to get into this in the first place? I mean, what was what was it about about cryptocurrency markets that that really called to you?
1: I'd done an undergrad in computer science at Imperial College in London. So I was already kind of familiar with the technology from that. And then I worked at Brevin Howard, which is a macro hedge fund, just looking at some sort of machine learning elements, which led me to go and do a, a master's in artificial intelligence. And having been involved in that kind of crossover between artificial intelligence. The, the kind of economics and markets from from Brevin. When blockchain emerged, or at least when Ethereum emerged, I was doing my master's in 2015, the uh, Ethereum launched. It really showed how rather than just a store of value like Bitcoin is, right? So it's a great sort of initial version of crypto. But when you layer in that notion of smart contracts that Ethereum pioneered, programmable money, and you can start dealing with sort of self-enforced rules around the flow of assets that was sort of the beginning of, of decentralized finance and some of those things so the power of that innovation and being able to do this in a way that technically was never previously possible right having this digital scarcity without a trusted intermediary was just a great innovation so when i first got involved in it, it was for the 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 should we say the more nerdy side of the the computer science innovation but as I got deeper and deeper into it, did my master's thesis and actually founded a business and got into industry with this from sort of 2016, it's amazing how applicable this technology is in creating operational efficiencies and generating new revenue lines for businesses if appropriately applied. There are a lot of use cases where it has not been appropriate. And that 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 was really the core interest. That's that's why I'm still involved and still actively pushing this this ecosystem.
0: Now, I've not had anyone from the crypto markets, you know, any specialists, on the podcast since uh, FTX went down. So I'm going to have to ask you this one: What do you think has been the impact of the collapse of FTX on on the wider industry? So
1: there's, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of pain felt by many people, but. In my opinion, it's been something that the crypto market really needed, right? It started with Terra Luna, obviously, early last or mid last year, then led ultimately into various others falling, but FTX as well. And the degree of the scandal at FTX um, is, is quite interesting. So the market needed a push from a regulatory front, especially around the trading, right? There's there's the fundamental technology and its use cases and supply chain provenance and all kinds of use cases where there's, there's really great value. But the trading and the financial and the asset side of this market really needed stricter frameworks, people taking a deeper dive. And I think with everything coming to light of what happened at FTX with how easily they raised capital from some of the best names in the business, right? Right. It really demonstrated that the lack of understanding of these products in market still and it forced everybody to pause. It led to obviously significant decreases in the prices of crypto, which meant various projects which were more hype and using their cap gains and their tokens to fuel marketing hype, but no real fundamentals. They weren't able to do that anymore. So a lot of the people that were going out of business had more hype than f- solid fundamentals and that's that's never a bad thing for a market to clear out some of that right we saw that in the dot-com bubble burst of, of the like 2000s um very similar thing to what happened there and obviously it's good that the regulators are getting involved these frameworks are getting made more robust and investors are doing more significant proper due diligence around the projects they're getting involved in
0: yeah and no, i hear what you're saying about the dot-com um collapse because i i i remember that clearly and uh that actually, we saw similar behaviour there um, during that phase um, from institutional investors that we've actually seen in the last couple of years from the in the crypto markets as well. I'm um, looking at the list of investors who had exposure to FTX. It surprises me to see you know, so many large scale players getting their fingers burned yet again. What? Why? Why did they get it so wrong? I mean, what's the? You know, when you look at some of the failings at FTX. They, they sort of jump out at you and seem fairly obvious, yet we see big players like SoftBank you know, heavily exposed to it. So I guess
1: it's, it's riding that hype cycle, right? Everybody saw massive explosions in the value. FTX came up as an exchange very, very quickly. If you looked at some of the fundamental, the important metrics by which you would measure an exchange, the kind of KPIs, user number, user signups, monthly active users, assets deposited within the exchange, all of these things were growing and they were looking very positive. And I mean, on the blockchain, you can confirm that assets were flowing into this exchange. So it's not like all of the indicators were pointing against it, but it's that next step of due diligence, right? It's that looking, reviewing potentially past board meetings. It's looking at the the balance sheet, how that breaks down. You you had to go into a lot of detail. really figure it out properly i mean look how long from when ftx said they were potentially going bankrupt to us actually getting in the news exactly what had happened it was a matter of weeks of people really digging properly right so it's not easy things to find quickly yeah i guess everybody just saw the investor markets are often one or two parties will do the deep dive and everybody just kind of jumps on the wave so in the later rounds you would have assumed that all of this had been addressed in earlier rounds, which I guess somewhere along the lines had just got put to the side. Right, but then again, the guy, it looks like there was significant fraud, right? So who knows what kind of misrepresentations were made to the investors along the road. its It's hard to tell.
0: But talking to institutional players in the market over the last four or five weeks, um, the thing that's really struck me, um, and I'm including including some of the big banks here, multi strategy hedge funds, um, what's really struck me is that a lot of them are still heavily um, on board with digital assets, with blockchain, with crypto. Why is that? Well, it seems to me that you hear you hear one message coming out of the sort of popular media and, and another one coming from the guys who are really busily involved in building this next-gen infrastructure. Um, and I'm sure you're probably talking to people like that as well, but it seems like the the faith has not been shaken when, when you're talking to the larger players. Uh, what, what do you think is driving that?
1: So fundamentally, if you look, why did all of this start in the first place? We have a technological innovation here that does allow us to do something that was never previously before possible right now the question is the market has to find where that adds value and if you look at the sales cycle of really bringing i mean our expertise as enterprise right of really getting an enterprise to adopt a new technology and then to roll that technology out across significant portion of their operations to really realize gains from that technology we're talking probably a five-year cycle, if not more. So the technology takes time to mature. Once the technology is matured, that sales cycle to actually adding value takes time. I think people, the advertising of what this technology can do was sold, and we saw various hype cycles. We saw the 2017 ICO hype cycle, right? We saw the NFT hype cycle most recently. People are getting a bit ahead of themselves because there are things we can do that previously weren't possible. But to know which ones are valid and which ones are, you know, just just kind of, um, you know, not realistically realizable really takes deep subject matter expertise of the business and of the technology, which very few people have. So people look to other indicators like who are their partners and then partnerships can be gamed. Maybe it's a marketing partnership and people are doing it just for their share price. Maybe they're actually using the fundamental technology. So I think there's been so much misinformation and hype because of this new unregulated asset class where you could monetize it quickly. And that's damaged the sentiment to a degree. But there are real use cases that weren't previously achievable. And that's why I think it's still around and it won't be going anywhere because that will ultimately shine through and people understand, oh, why were we so silly and we thought, Blockchain could solve this thing. Of course, it's in these areas, but it takes time for everybody to learn that.
0: You mentioned that that there has been a big shakeup um, in the market. Um, the rug has been pulled out from under a lot of players. Um, as a consequence of that, can people anticipate more consolidation in the sector uh, this year? More MA, and um, or just a string of uh, further sort of high profile? Uh, collapses as we go through this post-FTX shakeout?
1: I've seen a lot of opinions on this. My my perspective here is the markets seem to be relatively solid, right? There's still pain that's going to be felt. I think this year, given the global macroeconomic climate, no matter what, any tech business, any body in kind of startup building is going to have a rough time. Capital is less available. Market conditions are harsh. People are not taking the same kind of risks on new innovation. So the macroeconomic climate is going to lead to that anyway. The question is, is there something sort of specific to this industry that is going to further push it down? From my perspective, we, for the first time, I've been speaking to a lot of VCs recently. And what I'm hearing is there was this hype in valuations where many people were kind of pricing themselves out on the markets many vcs have actually accelerated the number of deals done but not the total amount of capital committed because valuations are significantly coming down to much more realistic levels so they're feeling like it's a good time to buy so that activity tells me there's good investment now now that everybody's been shocked and they're doing their due diligence significantly they're deploying capital more carefully but doing more deals and valuations have come down to me that suggests that the fundamentals are going to start being built much better. I also know from the enterprise conversations, we're having the client side of that. Most of the, the CIOs, the board level, they're asking, now the question is, what is our Web3 strategy, right? The last few years it's been, now, ah, whatever, there's this thing, maybe we want to be pioneers or not. Now it is, what is our Web3 strategy? And there has to be a really good answer, or the team has to come up with something, or at least become educated in it for Yes, we're going to do something, or no, we're not going to do something, and why? So that shift in thinking at the C-level of enterprises, I think, will also lead to more and more use cases coming. So overall, to your question, yes, more pain will be felt. I have no doubt there will be more businesses that go under. Hopefully, it's not frauds. Hopefully, it's just the, the normal shakeout of market conditions, but the fundamentals are growing.
0: Um, and, and speaking of more pressure, what do you think is going on with Binance at the moment? Because that seems to be grabbing all the headlines right now in all sorts of different places.
1: So there's, there, there are two points that have been in the last couple of weeks around Binance, right? The relationship with is a bit something like that, right? The, the, the fraud exchange. From what everyone can see, there's no evidence that Binance did anything wrong in those interactions. They were a service provider to a fraudulent entity. you you know if if ftx goes down amazon web services wasn't involved in the, the fraud right so that one mostly seems to be a problem at that that other kind of company not necessarily binance the bigger question is the proof of reserves points that have been raised right binance came out with statements saying all of the assets they have in their exchange are backed one to one so every bitcoin that anyone's deposited there's a bitcoin sitting in their cold wallet somewhere that anybody can grab. And they don't commingle client funds or client assets and their own assets. Now, when people dug a little bit deeper into one of the Binance wallets, it looks like one of them has significantly more assets in it than it should have based on the client funds that are said to be in there. So clearly there's a commingling of assets to some degree. So it'll play out more. Binance is obviously. Um, made statements saying they they separating that properly. It was a mistake within that account. This is the kind of positive outcomes of what happened with FTX, right? These are the kind of things we were talking about before. Everybody has to go through with a fine tooth comb and make sure that they're doing things properly. The spotlight is on them. So as of right now, who knows exactly if they do have a one to one collateralization? Only they know, and the proof of reserves and any of the auditors and whatnot involved. But given how afraid the market is given the sort of fear sentiment in the market right now if anybody gets a whiff of something being wrong there the, the outflow from Binance would be massive and so far that's not really happening so it doesn't seem to be a major cause for concern but it's something worth keeping an eye on over the next days or weeks as that evolves
0: one thing i did want to ask you about and this is because i have a background in what we used to call offshore finance and that is When you look at some of these exchanges and and, and fairly important um, nexus points within the whole cryptocurrency ecology, um, their setup is it lacks transparency. Basically, they, some of them are using uh, what I would not I would call sort of tier three offshore jurisdictions, like you know the Seychelles and places like that. Which which ordinarily, if you were setting up a hedge fund somewhere and you said, "Yes, I'm domiciled in the Seychelles," no one would touch you with the barge pole. It just simply wouldn't happen. And they're using these. Some of them are using offshore banks, which are very small. No one's ever heard of them. I mean, the overall level of transparency is is designed almost to prevent proper oversight. Is that just a part of the culture of digital assets and the fact that, that there wasn't a high element of secrecy around them when everything was getting going five to seven years ago? Or is it just a lack of proper understanding? You know, it just seems easy to set up somewhere initially when they're getting going somewhere like the Seychelles or Mauritius and and they don't really understand the connotations surrounding that.
1: It's a very interesting question of why it has evolved like that. There's almost a paradox in this technology where the fundamental principles, it's no surprise Bitcoin white paper was released a year after the sort of 2008 crashes and, and everything that happened there, right? And the fundamental principles being everything is completely transparent. Every single coin that moves from A to B, Anyone can publicly go and have a look at that forever, and it's immutable. So the premise on which this technology was built fundamentally, and then how that was subsequently brought forward by others as they innovated on top of it and set up these kind of structures you're talking about, is in, in stark contradiction. And there, there are various players who've stayed true to those fundamental principles, the real decentralized principles of these ecosystems. And those are many of the projects that are doing the best today, right? The likes of Ethereum, Polkadot, uh, Polygon, all of these guys. But why people did that, I know from our own experience, there was great difficulty in finding jurisdictions that were accepting of new asset classes. So. When various people started looking at the markets, I think only the first early pioneers in tech, everything's about being quick, nimble, and ideally first if you can be, right? That, that first mover advantage and being quick and nimble as you innovate is so, so essential, and the pace is, is, is rapid. So when you have the option of you look at everything on the table and you say, okay, here are a few jurisdictions that are ready to go now versus here are some that are going to take us a few years and give us no guarantees of actually getting done. I think that's why many of the early projects went for some of these third-tier type jurisdictions you're referring to. However, there are the players who didn't do that and who did go through the headaches. Our investors, or an example like CoinShares, helped us with our setup and various other players. And it takes a bit longer, but once you get it, you kind of can do deals and gain traction. faster because you come with that kind of tick of, okay, you're not set up in some jurisdiction with some bank nobody's ever heard of. So yeah, that's the reasoning, but also the downside to it, I would say.
0: The Armchair Trader obviously covers a lot of different financial markets, including things like investment trusts, um, traditional equity markets. And we, we write for a lot of different types of investors, many of whom will currently not have any exposure whatsoever to crypto assets and we'll be regarding it still with a high degree of skepticism. But talking about the fundamentals of blockchain, I just wanted to ask you how you feel blockchain itself is going to change even the traditional financial markets in the future. And will we see some real benefits for for private investors, especially as a consequence of that? Yeah. So,
1: I mean, Larry Fink, right, recently, what was it, a few months ago, despite the FTX scandal, came out with a statement that he sees the future of markets and trading being sort of tokenized assets and uh, backed by blockchain. So he's probably the biggest in the game to, to make a really positive statement around the fundamental technology, right? Not this crypto coin, that crypto coin. Um, I think, so what I see many sophisticated investors doing is looking for leverage across both sides if a web three kind of business comes and they have a token on one side but they also have a business with equity on the other side many participants will look to take a share on both sides because they capture value in in different ways Um, so it's important to obviously consider not just the token not just the the blockchains themselves but what are the commercial entities that are active within that ecosystem and what is that equity doing because equity is much Easier to value, we know how to value it, right? These tokens are all so vastly different in how the supply-side dynamic of the token works, the issuance, the revenue modeling of the kind of velocity of the money supply. Everyone's different and so diverse that you can't really build, okay, here's the valuation model for this token. It's it's still quite challenging to do that. So yeah, I think the important thing is my recommendation to anybody who says I want to get involved in this market, where should I start? is just to start uh, with the biggest players. Bitcoin and Ethereum are the market kind of dominant. Bitcoin's the first mover. Ethereum is the best with respect to sort of most functionality that it has kind of extended Bitcoin on. And everything else is really derivative works of these two. So I always say start understanding what these two are. And if you're interested, if you want to go deeper, kind of go from there.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for coming on the show this morning. I really appreciate some of the insights that uh, you've been able to provide us with. And uh, good luck with, with everything with Aventus in, in Dubai as well. Thanks, Sure. Thanks for having me. It was like a challenge to you. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.